If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Colossians as we begin a new series on Complete in Christ. While you're turning to Colossians chapter 1, let me ask you a question. What is your purpose in life? Why are you here on this planet? Is it simply to breathe air, to take up space, maybe eat a couple of thousand Chick-fil-A sandwiches before you die? Why are you here? I believe God has created you for greatness. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has created you for greatness in this life and beyond, for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Yes, sometimes you'll be knocked down. Sometimes you'll feel like quitting. Sometimes you're going to want to give up. But God has created you for greatness. Do you believe that? You serve the God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than all you could ask or think or even imagine. Do you believe that? You serve the God who says greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? You serve the God who came down to this earth and he died on the cross for you that you might have a relationship with him starting here and now in this life and lasting forever. Do you believe that? But sometimes we measure greatness in the wrong ways. The world measures greatness by how much money you have in the bank or how much talent you can display on a stage, or how high you can jump, or how many times you can dunk a basketball, or how hard you can hit a baseball, or how incredible your voice may be. But Jesus Christ measures greatness differently than that. Some of the greatest things that you can do as a follower of Jesus Christ, nobody up here may ever see. One of the greatest things that you might do as a servant of Christ might be taking care of children and teaching preschoolers down there in the basement while we're up here worshiping God. Did you know that? Some of the greatest things that you can do as a follower of Jesus Christ is simply taking a donut or taking a piece of pizza or taking a gift to a business or to a shopping mall or to a school in the name of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus says, if you offer even a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. Jesus says, if You even visit somebody in the hospital or the nursing home. It's as though you're visiting Jesus Christ himself. Do you believe that? God has called you to greatness. For the next several weeks, we're going to look at a church that probably didn't look very important to other people, but they were important to God. The church was in a town called Colossae. At one time, Colossae had been an important city, but in Paul's day, it was considered a second-rate town. Not a super obscure, but it couldn't compare to Rome or even to a Jerusalem or to a Hierapolis or to Laodicea. Not a whole lot is known about the church in Colossae in Paul's day, except that it was nearly destroyed by an earthquake around 60 A.D. Kind of reminds me of a town 
called New Madrid, Missouri. Anybody here ever heard of New Madrid, Missouri? A few of you have. And if you've heard of it, it's probably because you're from Missouri or not very far from southeast Missouri. It's a small town, about 3,000 people. And you know what they're best known for? The New Madrid Earthquakes. About a hundred years ago, there was a series of earthquakes that took place, and New Madrid, Missouri was kind of the epicenter of that. And at least one of those earthquakes was so strong, they felt it all the way in New York City. Can you imagine? It was felt by President James Madison and his wife Dolly in the White House. Can you imagine? It rang church bells in Boston, Massachusetts. They say that this earthquake was so powerful that it caused the Mississippi River, the mighty Mississippi River, to flow backwards. Can you imagine that? A local museum put a t-shirt together that uses a play on words. It says this, New Madrid, it's our fault. You'll get that later if you don't realize what that is, okay? Perhaps a little bit like New Madrid. Colossae didn't have the highest self-esteem in the world. Frankly, it was not an impressive town. And to the typical outsider, the church of Colossae probably wasn't a super impressive church. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae, but he didn't start the church at Colossae. And he probably never even visited there. The church at Colossae was actually started by a guy by the name of Epaphras. Say it with me. Epaphras. It's kind of hard to say, okay? Think of sassafras, Epaphras, okay? Scholars don't even seem to agree on how it is to be pronounced. Some say Epaphras, okay? So pick which one that you want. The church at Colossae was started by this guy. He's not exactly the best-known apostle, not particularly well-known in the Christian world, at least not like Peter or James or John or Paul, probably not a golden orator like Apollos, but nevertheless... He was a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. In the eyes of the world, Colossae was probably the least important church that Paul ever wrote a letter to. But significance in God's sight doesn't rest on name dropping or geographic location or the amount of money you have in the bank. No, your success depends upon who you are in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? During the next several weeks, you're going to be traveling through the book of Colossians. And we're going to be talking about your completeness in Christ. So grab a Bible if you got one, hold on, pay attention, and let's get started. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church, and even though he probably never visited it, he is thankful for it. He starts out like this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul didn't just decide one day that I'm going to be an apostle. He didn't grow up thinking, one day I'm going to be an apostle. No, the apostle Paul did not want to be an apostle. He did not even want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? He hated Christ. He hated the church. He was opposed to the things of God. 
at least as God intended them. He thought he was for God, but he actually was against Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, until one day Jesus Christ stopped him on the road to Damascus with a light from heaven, told Paul he was going the wrong way and to follow him. And Paul became one of the greatest followers of Jesus Christ who ever lived. God had a calling on his life. God has a calling on your life as well. Did you know that? Now, you're not going to write half the books in the New Testament like Paul did that's already been completed. And you're not going to be an apostle. I believe the days of the apostles are over. But Jesus Christ is calling you to greatness. The good news is you're probably not going to be stoned and left for dead like Paul, okay? Or beaten with whips and thrown in jail over and over again. He's calling you to follow him with every fiber of your being to give your life to Jesus Christ because he wants to use you for his glory. He's calling you to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. He's calling you to be his instrument to change people's lives for all of eternity. What could be more exciting than that? You get to be used by God to touch people's lives, to reach people with the gospel so that their lives may be changed forever and ever and ever because of what Jesus Christ does through you for his glory. Paul continues. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul also chose someone to mentor. Not a bad idea for us to do as well. To find somebody who is further along in their faith to help you grow up more in your faith. A long time ago, when I was a pastor of a small church in Fayette, Missouri, there was a young man by the name of Matt Vroman, one of the most zealous Christians I had ever been around. But he was green as a gourd. He had no clue about what it meant to follow Jesus Christ. And he said, Kevin, I need some help. Can you help me grow up in my faith? And so we spent some time together over the weeks and months and probably even into the years. And Matt Broman, not because of me, but because of Christ, became a dynamic follower of Jesus Christ, a missionary to Turkey. Now he's a pastor in Detroit, Michigan, ministering to Muslims there. A few years ago, uh, several now, I guess, I, I was in Cadiz, Kentucky, and I didn't really need someone so much to, to mentor me spiritually, but I was looking for a pastor who is further along in this ministry to help me to grow and become a, a better pastor. And so I found a guy by the name of Dan Summerlin to help me grow and understand how to lead a church and how to be the pastor of a growing church. Paul told Timothy, the things you've heard from me, these entrust to faithful men who also pass them on to others. Now, that's not the only way to do discipleship. In the Bible, the older women train the younger women. Pastors train their congregations. Parents train their children. Missionaries were commanded to teach the nations. Christians are told to encourage one another in the faith and use their gifts to serve others. One of the challenges with one-on-one -on -one discipleship is who disciples who? Because you can't always measure the maturity of a Christian by how long they've been saved. Some people have been Christians for four or five years, and yet they're pretty mature in their faith. And some people have been Christians for 45 years, and they're still very immature in their faith. 
But one of the greatest things I could see happening here at Northside Baptist Church is that God would use us to lead dozens of people to faith in Christ. And then it's obvious, yes, there's a new Christian. There's a baby Christian. There's somebody that needs to grow in their faith. And we can assign people to to connect with them so that they can grow up in their faith in Jesus Christ, have somebody one-on-one to mentor them and help them grow in their faith. Paul continues in verse 2. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. The believers at Colossae were pretty special to Paul. The people here at Northside are pretty special to me as well. Did you know that? Now, I don't claim to be an apostle like Paul, but I am praying for you. Probably more than you know. I pray for Northside Baptist Church every single day. And if your name is in the church directory, whether on the app or in the hard book, which they're both the same, but every single month I pray for you and for every member of your family by name because you're important to me. So if you want to be prayed for by the pastor, not that I'm somebody super special, okay? But if you want to be prayed for by the pastor, make sure your name is in the directory, okay? And we'll make sure that we pray for you. In verses 4 and following, Paul told the church at Colossae, I'm giving thanks for you, and I'm praying for you. Because I heard about your faith in Christ and your love for other Christians, and how you're growing in your faith and growing in love, and it's encouraging to me. And I could say the same thing about you people, this church here at Northside. It's encouraging to me to see you growing in your faith and reaching out to your community in love. Well, what was Paul specifically praying for the church at Colossae? Let's take a look at that together, beginning in verse 9. I apologize, our screen's not working back there, so you may actually have to look in your Bible if you have one, okay, or on your phone, okay? But we're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, We've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Isn't that a great prayer? Paul says, I'm praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why is Paul praying for this church like that? There's an answer in verse 10. So that you may walk in a manner Worthy of the Lord. You see, the goal for knowing more about Christ is not simply to know more about Christ. The goal in knowing more about Christ and knowing more about the Bible, knowing more about God and about God's Word is that you might know God better and that you might follow Him and be obedient to Him with your life. Now, none of us can ever begin to be worthy, okay? We can never really walk in a matter that's completely worthy of the Lord, but that should be a goal for us. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that others may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. When people see the way that you live their life, they ought to want to know the Jesus that you know. Did you know there are a lot of people out there in the world who say they love God but they really don't like the church. Now, I don't know if that is completely possible, but that's an excuse out there. 
yeah, I love God. I love Jesus, but I really don't care that much for the church because I've met a lot of those people, okay? Let me encourage you. Don't be somebody's excuse for not following Jesus Christ. Be somebody's reason for wanting to follow Christ. When people see that the way that you live your life the way that you love on people, the way that you care about people, the way that you serve people, that they will say, if that's what being a Christian is about, I would love to know that in my life. When people see the way that you walk through the trials of your life, when life looks like it's falling apart around you, and how you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, and you keep having a thankful attitude, and you keep walking by faith, when people see the way that you live your life, May people say, if that's a Christian, then that's what I want in my life. Verse 10 continues. Paul tells the church here at Colossae, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Here's our goal again, that we live in such a way that God is pleased. People may or may not be pleased with the way that we live our lives, but that's not the greatest importance the greatest importance is that God will be pleased with the way that we live our lives. Amen? The greatest thing that can happen to you when you die is that God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? That's all that's ultimately going to matter. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul says, we make it our goal to please the Lord. Ephesians 5, 10 says to find out what pleases the Lord. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, we're not trying to please men, but God, that is our goal, to please God. As many of you know, my mom had a massive stroke about two and a half years ago, and she's in a nursing home, and uh, neither of my brothers live nearby, and my dad is constantly trying to get me to move home. It's like, Kevin, I I need your help here. He's probably told me that at least a dozen times. He's offered for Monique and Michaela and I to live in the basement of his house. It's a nice house, okay, with a finished basement. And when that didn't work, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll just move out of the house and you can move into the house, okay? A really nice house out on this little lake. It's amazing. But I just have to tell him over and over, God didn't call me to move back to Jackson, Missouri. God has called me to be at Northside because I believe God's going to do something great here. I don't believe God's done with this church yet, do you? I believe the beginning is just beginning, that God is going to do incredible things in us and through us for his glory. He's going to use us to touch hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people in this community, and people are going to want to know Christ, and people are going to want to grow in their faith, because God is at work here, amen? And I can't leave until God says it's time to go. And so I ask you, I plead with you to partner with me in reaching our community and beyond with the love of Jesus Christ that people might know him and want to follow him together. Amen? Verse 10 continues. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. God wants us to be effective, us to be effective in serving him. He wants to use us for his glory. And he wants us to be increasing, Paul says, in the knowledge of God. Not just knowing about God, but knowing God. Verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. 
the idea here is constantly being strengthened. Listen, you never arrive in the Christian life. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have not arrived. Tell them you're a long way from it. None of us are close to arriving. Whether you've been a Christian for six months or 60 years, we do not arrive in the Christian life. We're constantly, if we're following Jesus Christ, growing in our faith. I don't care if you're 8 or 88. If you have a mind that can think, God is calling you to keep on growing up in Christ. Here's the good news. Philippians 1, 6 says, He who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So you don't do it on your own. God's not done with you yet. He is working in your life for his glory, strengthening you with all power, Paul says, according to his glorious might, constantly being strengthened. Paul continues, Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Listen, the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Anybody here ever run a long-distance race? You know, the first 100 yards, not so bad. 200, 300, 400 if you pace yourself. But after a while, it gets really long, right? It gets really hard. And some people follow Jesus Christ like that. When they give their life to Jesus Christ, they start out pretty well in their faith. But after a while, they get tired. They get discouraged. They kind of drop out of church. They kind of quit reading the Bible. They kind of quit sharing Jesus with their friends. And before you know it, they're drifting along in their faith. But God has called us to follow him with all of our heart, with every fiber of our being to the very end. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It may feel like it's in vain sometimes, but it's not. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, in God's time, we'll reap a harvest if we faint not, if we don't give up, if we don't quit. How many ever feel like quitting? Probably most of us. But that doesn't mean serving Jesus is some burdensome load that you carry. It's like, oh, if I can just get through another day. (sighs) This Christian life is wearing me out. It's not like that, okay? It's a privilege. How many of you have watched any basketball in the last few days? A lot of you have, right? And and those players on those basketball teams are tired, are they not? They've already played 30-something games, okay? They are slap-worn out. But you know what today is? It's Selection Sunday. How many of you think those basketball players on those basketball teams are saying, please don't pick me. I don't want to play another game. I'm just too tired. Do you think they're thinking that? There are some of those more obscure teams who never make it. They're like Dory from Finding Nemo. Pick me, pick me, pick me, right? I just want to be in. Here's the good news. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're in. 
You have been chosen by God. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're going to live with him forever and ever in heaven. You're in, right? But if you're in, it's not really enough, is it? If you're in the NCAA tournament, it's not just enough to be in, is it? Kentucky already knows they're in, right? But they're not saying, you know what, we're in, so we're good. Let's just play one game. Hopefully we'll lose and we'll go home. Do you think they're thinking that? They're not thinking that, are they? It's like, oh, I hope we win. Yeah, we got to win. And then we're going to win again. We're going to win again. We're going to make it all the way to the Final Four. And we're going to win again. And we're going to win the national championship. It's going to be amazing. They're not saying, I don't want to play another game. Coach Cal's probably going to yell at me. I'm probably going to have to run up down that court at least a hundred times. I may even get a floor burn. I'm probably going to get an elbow. Somebody's going to do a hook and hold on me and I'm going to fall on the ground. They're not saying that, are they? They're saying we're in. And because we're in, we're going to give everything we've got until the very end, right? Why? Because it's all about the prize. It's all for temporary glory and temporary fame. Now, I realize the players who are really, really, really good, they're going to make millions of dollars playing in the NBA. But here's good news for you. You got a greater prize waiting for you than simply making millions of dollars. And you're not in because you're really, really good. You're in because Jesus Christ is perfect. And he came to die on the cross for your sin. But he's calling you. He's calling you to follow him with every fiber of your being. Because he's worthy to be followed. We don't just follow Jesus Christ because we have to. We follow him because we get to. Amen? Following Jesus Christ is the greatest adventure in all of life. We're partnering with God to change lives for all of eternity. Touching lives in Jesus' name. Sharing the gospel in Jesus' name. That's one of the things that encourages me so much about nearly a 100 people signing up for the three circles training because you're saying, I want to grow as a witness for Jesus Christ. Now, if you didn't sign up, don't feel guilty, okay? You can still share the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? And if you want to learn the three circles, get online and learn it. God is calling you, whether it's taking a donut to somebody or serving down in the preschool or finding somebody you can talk to specifically about the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is calling you to share Jesus with your world, changing lives for eternity. How many want to be with that? Amen? He's not calling you just to get through life. He is calling you to follow him with every fiber of your being for his glory. Paul says, I'm praying that you may be increasing in the knowledge of God for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, not only because of what we get to do, but because of what Jesus Christ has already done. Amen? Not only do we get to serve our master, 
We have this amazing privilege of being the children of the master. Paul says we're giving thanks to our heavenly father, God Almighty, who has qualified us, empowered us, authorized us, given us the privilege to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. John 1.12 says, as many as received him, to those who gave the right, the power, the privilege to become the children of God, 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. In 1 John 14, Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, that where I am there you may be also. Paul continues in verse 13. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Paul says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Isn't that amazing? It's as though you were working in the sweatshop of Satan, separated from God, laboring in sweat and toil and blood and tears, and the king came down to the sweatshop one day. He says, John... Mary, Mark, Susie, Billy, Joanne, whatever your name is, I choose you. Come and live in my palace. Come and be my child. He's calling you today. Would you not rather be a child of the king than the work in the sweatshop of Satan? The Bible says he delivered us, if we're Christians, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And Paul didn't tell the church at Colossae, hey, you guys better find a way, crank it up a notch. You can't do the Christian life in your own power. You can only do it through the power of Christ, depending on him. Paul says, I'm praying these things for you, that you might grow up and mature in Christ, that you might be his instruments in this world for his glory. The grace of God is not an excuse for sloppy behavior. It's not a license to sin. It's liberty to serve. Romans 12, 1 and 2. The Bible says, I urge you. I plead with you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Christian life is not something you live in your own power. You live it by the power of Jesus Christ for his glory. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Colossians 1.29, Paul says, I labor striving with all of his energy which so powerfully works in me. Listen, everything we do is dependent upon God. It's dependent upon Christ. But that is not an excuse for laziness. That just means you tap into the power of Christ to live moment by moment and day by day in this great adventure called life for the honor and the glory 
of Jesus Christ.